Welcome to another episode of Steve's Speed Shop, brought to you by Warranty Wise, the UK's best warranty provider. Get a quote from them today at warrantywise.co.uk. We're brought to you by Mini Sports, specialising in the classic Mini since 1967. And we're brought to you by West Coast Motorcycles. They sell Harley Davidsons, lots of them, and very lovely they are too. Find them on Facebook. At West Coast Motorcycles. My guest this week is Simon Maynard. He is the chairman of the Jaguar Club of Ireland. What you're not going to hear in this podcast is any discussion of Jaguars. For some reason, we got off topic. We started talking about old VWs and all sorts of other stuff. He's such a great guy. I am a huge fan of uh, Ireland when it comes to cars and bikes. It is the home of road racing, both on two wheels and four wheels and he's had a really interesting career with cars my guest no talk of jags we must get him back to talk jaguar the chairman of the jaguar club of ireland simon maynard so we were talking about what the americans call beaters which are car- yes. cars that you don't have anything invested in you don't really have much money invested in them they come to you cheap um, there's nothing too special. They aren't a prestigious mark. They aren't a prestigious car. It's usually sort of a, a regular four-cylinder front-wheel drive, five-door hatchback type thing. Yeah, but something that you've, oh, you've got a, another car sitting at home which ends up being not a car because you're afraid to drive it, you're afraid to use it, and then you always end up driving the car, which is, as you say, the beater. <laughs> and you always underestimate how long you've had the beta because when i not a lancia beta by the way we talked about them the other week um yep. mine was a seat 2.3 i can't even remember what it was called i can't remember the name of the car I can remember the mark it was a seat it was a 2.3 i think it it was like what would normally be an audi a6 or it might have been an audi a4 five-cylinder engine yes i, I can't mind the name myself no i, I can't what you're talking I about can't. yeah but here's the thing when I came to sell it on, I bought it on a whim off a bloke who was having a moan about how little, he, how much he'd been offered initially by an internet car buying company and then how yes. much they'd actually offered him once the man with a clipboard had inspected the car and then it was, it was a fraction of what they'd offered him initially. <laughs> and he was so furious that he sold it to me for the money that was in my wallet. I was like, I said, well, I thought, well, I've got, I've got that in cash. I said, I'll buy it off you and gave him the... Gave him the cash and then thought, why have I done this? But it was such a useful car because, you know, how many times do you look at a car that, like the Alpha, which I've had since 1991, mm-hmm. right? That car was made in 1971. I've had it since 1991. So it was Lovely. 20 years old when, it, when, I, when I got it. It's now 50 years old. So I've had it for 30 years. Yep. I don't want anything bad. I don't want anything remotely bad to happen to that car. Yeah. I love that car. No, I love that car. Yep. no, nothing bad's happening to that car. <laughs> so you think to yourself, oh yeah, we just somebody says, oh come to the come to this do, come to this thing, come to this you know late night. You come out of the house and you think the beater, the car on the end that I paid two hundred and sixty five pounds for, that never breaks down, that I rarely wash, that is full of McDonald's wrappers and empty crisp packets <laughs> and stuff like that, and, and you. And when it goes, when it goes is when you miss it. 
That's when you exactly. miss it because you sell it. When, what did you? What that golf that you got? What were, what were you going to do with it initially? You got to cut it in half or something? Yeah, I bought it for a hundred pounds. I thought I'll beat about for a couple of months until the MOT runs out, and then I'm going to cut it in half and make it into a barbecue. And it was just too good a car to do that. I say it. Uh, I always remember one day the job I had at the time. I had to call into one of the police headquarters to work on a computer, and I parked the car up. And there was a lot of activity going on in, in the, the compound of the police station. And I was quite aware. I thought, oh, this looks like a bit, this car looks a wee bit like it shouldn't be, you know, sitting here. Or maybe it's been impounded. But as I walked away, I looked over my shoulder, just chuckled, did, did what I had to do. And when I came back, there was walking towards the car, there was three guys, three police standing there. And I got into the car and I uh, put the window down, trying to act all cool thinking, oh, this isn't going to start. I'm going to look stupid. But uh, I turned the key, fired into life first time, and uh, I saw the, the three guys chuckle. So I, just, I leaned out the window and joked and says, don't worry, she's MOT, taxed, insured, you know, having a wee bit of a laugh. And one of them shouted back, we know, we've just checked it, because <laughs> it looked like it shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that wee car ended up, I sold it to a friend, and he drove it for a while, and it, he sold it to another friend, and I don't know where it ended up, but that was a great wee wagon. Well, so I, know, again, I know where that Seat ended up. It ended up in Poland. And I, right. I, uh-huh, I, yes. I just bunged it on eBay. I thought, I hadn't driven it. I, I think another car had come along as well. So there was a ridiculous number of cars, and I thought, right, there has to be some thinning of the herd here. And I thought, right, favourite to go, the Seat. That's the one. Which one do I love least? The Seat, clearly. Yes. Right, yep. it's going. Just put it on eBay, and there was a little bit of bidding, and I thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my money back. Great, fine, fantastic. I've had it for, I didn't realise I had it for eighteen months. If you'd asked me, I would have said more like six months. How long have you had that? Oh, six months. No, you've had it for eighteen months. I just, it just didn't register. <laughs> you know, I can tell you the day that I got the Alpha. I remember the day clearly yep. when I picked it up. You know, that's its birthday from when I. But this say it was like, yeah, uh, six months. No, you've had it eighteen months. All right. And then at the last second on the bidding, I'm having a look to see who's going to buy it. Winning bid, Warsaw, Poland. And I'm thinking, right, well, there's however much money I'm never going to see. That's, yes. I'm never going yeah. to see that. Within an hour of the end of the auction, a very polite man calls me up from Warsaw and asks when he can come and collect it. And I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> and uh, he turns up, the guy turns up, in um, a great big Pantechnican, as my father would say. Mm-hmm. What do you call them in Ireland, a big articulated lorry? A wagon or uh, a truck or a... A, a big set... Uh, well, what's the word? A, a, a tractor unit. That's well, what we call them, well, tractor units. Americans call it a semi, which of course... A semi, yeah. yeah I was which of course, a semi, but that's what they call them. In the UK, but, has a completely different meaning. <laughs> it does, they, yeah. A tractor they, unit, people think it's a tractor. This is, this is Brian, he has a semi... Semi, and I'm like, oh, does he? <laughs> Can't sell in those trousers. Anyway, right, so um, the guy turns up in this big truck with, with mushrooms on the side and, and Polish writing and, and, and a photograph of mushrooms. So I'm assuming that he's been delivering mushrooms to the UK. And then I realise that what he's going to do, get this, get this, Simon, what he's going to do is he's going to load it in the back using the tail lift. 
And oh, I'm thinking, I, I'm I, thinking. I take it it was a box. Was it a box van or? Yeah, but it's yeah a big articulated <laughs> lorry, and it's got a tail lift. But that tail lift isn't meant to be for a car. And he kind of <laughs> he had to back it on. It was a right complicated way he had of loading. When he opened the back of this curtain side, there were two other Seat same model. The five-cylinder in the back of uh-huh. this. This was going to be the third that was being put, put in the back of this truck. Wow. And then when he went to operate the tail lift, I stood well back because I thought hydraulic lines are about to give way. They're going to pop. Yep. Yeah, because it's got clear warnings on the side. It's like it, it can it can lift a few hundred pounds, but it's not supposed to lift a medium-sized car. <laughs> but here's the thing that I've realised about Polish people. I like Polish people. I was brought up. I was brought up Catholic. A lot of Polish people at, at my school. Uh-huh. I was brought up around Polish people. I've realised Polish people don't care. <laughs> They're like, no, they, they just get stuck in. They just do they it. Go, they just go. Yeah, yeah, done, it, done. yeah, yeah, yeah. It will be okay. Like this, I'm thinking. No, it won't be okay. There's a hydraulic line is going to give way, <laughs> and the whole thing is going to come crashing down. But he pressed the button. The car went up. We pushed it into the back of this truck. But then here was the thing. He comes to pay me £50 notes. Uh, and I'm thinking, hmm, are these real? Because how often in regular life do you see a £50 note? You don't. Very occasionally. You, oh, don't, oh. you just don't. Well, is it the same in Ireland? Is it? Is it the it same is. where if you go into a bar or you go into a shop, they have a sign saying, we do not accept £50 notes? Yeah, because I think the only time I ever saw one was maybe, if, you know, for a very special occasion, and your granny or granddad had maybe gone like, "This is this is for you," and they'd gone down the bank specially and got it. You know, when you were younger. Yeah, but so like, how would you tell a real one from a fake one? Because you never see one. So this no, Pol- exactly. this Polish guy gives me these freshly minted fifty pound notes, and I'm thinking, hmm. so this is what I did, right? <laughs> I said to my son, "There's my bank card." My son was 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 there with me at the time. And I said to him, get on your bicycle, go down to the bank and deposit this money. If there's the slightest problem, call me. And I followed the truck. (laughs) I got in my car. (laughs) I didn't do it in a very... I felt felt bad because the guy I was dealing with was such a nice guy. But I was thinking, (laughs) that guy's now got three three Seats, five-cylinder Seats on board. He's heading for Hull. It's going to take yep. him about an hour and a half to get to Hull, and then he's gone. So if I if I leave this money in my pocket, don't go straight to the bank, and I go down to the bank and they go, "This isn't real money, you idiot! This is just you know, this, <laughs> this has just been printed out and then cut with scissors. Can you not see how dodgy they're like?" I would have felt stupid. So I followed the truck until my son said, "Call me and said." Yeah, the bank took it. I went, right, okay. And then I turned right. <laughs> turned right wait, wait, you turned back home. <laughs> turned back home. I f- that's the first time I've told that story. And I feel a bit ashamed. It was it was nothing to do with him being Polish. It was just the fact. Because the guy that turned up to take it spoke zero English. So I was yes. on the phone dealing with the guy that had bought it back in Warsaw. And, you know, and I sent him a message afterwards, I think because I felt guilty. I sent him a message saying it was an absolute delight to deal with somebody and very professional and this, that and the other. I didn't say, I didn't trust your guy or you, so I followed the truck. <laughs> I didn't tell him any of that. <laughs> but he straight away messaged me back and said, if you see any of those Seats, 
just buy them, and then if you can like keep them somewhere, I'll come and get them off you. And I yep. thought, oh, I wonder why. I wonder why they're so highly prized in Poland. You know, I, don't I wonder know. was it the engine, the five cylinder? I think it must have been. I think yeah. they must have been using that engine. Were they putting it in VWs, smaller VWs, or Audis, or I don't know. Yeah, well, that that was that, that was in Volkswagens and in Audis. That that block, so it would be. Yep. Maybe someone can get in touch with the show and tell us why did Polish people want my aging, slightly <laughs> scruffy beta of a Seat. I'm not sure which model it was. <laughs> that's that's. I'm normally so geeky about. I, I tell you what, I'm getting a real, I'm getting a real passion for this now. I'm going to be on a mission to tell all car enthusiasts that no matter what you have, you should also have this unloved, possibly a Toyota or a Nissan. Off to totally. one, off to one side, that is completely legal. Don't drive it around illegally; you'll get busted. It's there are yep. cameras everywhere, and you will get busted. Of make, course, yes. make sure it's legal, but just leave it unlocked and never clean it. And I'll, no one will nick it. Just leave it; it'll be great. And then when you and come, it's out, the best fun. When you come out of the house and think, uh, "Oh God, I don't want to take my beloved VW Beetle." Alfa Romeo, Aston Martin, Jowett Javelin, whatever it is that you is your is your pride and joy, just take the beater. <laughs> Treat it like a dishwasher. But then what I always do, even with the beater, uh, when you go to the down to the, the shop or whatever, I'll still park it at the far end of the car park just in case my beater gets a dent. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? There is so, there, there's a certain sort of driver who drives at the same speed regardless of where they are. Do you know the ones I'm talking about? Yes. And yes. The, the other thing that they do is they never move their head from the straight-ahead position. It, they're, they're, <laughs> almost like, they're almost like a, a sort of a Russian doll with arms. They can't move their body at all. So they just <laughs> sit facing forward, looking at the thing that's directly in front of them. And they drive at 27 miles an hour on the dual carriageway, on the on yep. the bypass. But they also drive at 27 miles an hour past the entrance of Asda in the car park, which is like, you know, <laughs> people are scattered to the four winds. And I got one of those people. I had a, an Alfa Romeo 164. It was the three-litre, and it was the Lusso, so it had the nice wheel. Well, they were all nice. The very wheels, nice. Yep, very yeah, it was nice. a lovely... Lovely car that one. I used to work. I used to work in an Alfa Romeo dealership, so I know the exact one. So when were you? What what was on the uh, what was on the showroom floor when you? Uh, if the one six four was there, I assume that was the days of also the seventy five and the ninety and the series four Spider. What? what no, else? I, I was after that. I would have been in the uh, when was it? it? Was the early two thousands around right, that? So, so with the one six fours, the one five six, one four seven. What exactly. A, what a great the, era for Alpha that was. Walter De Silva, Central Steely. They, they go on about Pininfarina, Bertone, uh, Giugiaro, but Walter De Silva and that era of Alfa Romeo, the 164, that was Pininfarina, I know that, but the yep. 156 and the 147. I don't know if it was the same in Ireland, but boy, oh boy, did they sell some cars in, in the UK when the, when the 156 and 147 was out. They did, and they, they at that time the the, the was it the, the two point two diesel engine just came out in them, and the power, the torque in them was incredible, and they, they drove like a sports car on the road, and but it was just that whole 
reputation that they gained previous, which was just you know marring what what was at that time. Yeah, but, but they'd also had, cars. they'd also had the Brucey bonus of um, uh, Simone and Tarquini and the one five five. That's right, of course. In, yes. in, in British touring cars, winning yeah. winning races and 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 the thing was. The team was completely attacked. That was so odd. I remember thinking at the time that Alfa Romeo would turn up and run in British touring cars with a completely Italian team. Italian manager, Italian team manager, Italian mechanics, Italian drivers. It was like, we don't, we want to race in this national championship. I mean, everyone else had a British team, was run by a British team. You know, BMW was Vic Lee's. It was, you know, West Surrey Race. Well, that was uh, Austin Rover West Surrey Racing. Yeah. But, you know, my, my point being, most European manufacturers didn't bring the team over lock, stock, and four smoking barrels from the home country. But Alpha did. They turned up completely Italian and just cleaned up. And brought Grand Prix drivers. <laughs> like, was, yeah. You know, they brought a howitzer to the pea shooter party. It was like, whoa, this is serious. And I think I think Alpha did really well off the back of that. He, he, like you're saying, there was the problem of the sort of the rust years and Alpha Suds and, and although I like, I love the Alpha Sud. I think they're beautiful, and the, the, anything of that era, you know, even the Spider and so on, gorgeous cars. They're. Mm, I'm not that keen on the Series Four Spider. I, th- I think, I think it epitomises everything that was wrong with the Italian yeah. auto industry. It's like here's a really old car, but we've covered up what used to be chrome with plastic, and the, yes. the beautiful chrome rearview mirrors are now big dobber plastic ones off a van away. If you've got a Series 4 Spider and you love it, I understand why you love it. But to me, what they were doing, which was passing off what was then a 25-year-old car nearly, and saying, look, a new car. You know, it was like, no, no, sorry. I mean, I I was the person who went out, first mention of Top Gear. How long have we been talking, first mention of Top Gear? That's not bad, nearly 20 minutes. (laughs) I mean, it's usually about 20 minutes before I mention it. I was, I think, one of the very first people out of the factory to drive the front-wheel drive Spider, the 916 um, right, Spider, yes, uh-huh. and GTV. And um, I was going over, I was a bit sniffy, because as the owner of a Series 2 Spider, rear-wheel drive, 2-litre twin cam, twin Webers, 135, 140 horsepower in 1971, you know, that was a... a Great looking. That was something, yeah. Fast uh-huh. little sports car, a fantastic little car. And I thought, oh, front wheel drive, or you know. But I like I like them. And now yeah. the Bussaw engine versions of that GTV, the three litre GTV uh, alphas, that nine one six series alpha, they're starting to go for strong money. For a while they were they were next to nothing. And I kept thinking to myself, You've got to buy one of those while they're affordable. You can get one for yep. like two or three grand. Buy one, even if you don't need it, quick before they go up. And then, of course, I looked again, and all of a sudden, they'd like tripled in price. And I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> even sure, look at the price of a 75 now. You, you, you can't get a good 75, what, below 10? Would that be right? About 10 grand? Yeah, and they really are an acquired taste, aren't they, in terms of, yeah. look, in terms of looks. Do you know what I had, Simon? Uh-huh. I had a 90. 
Wow. Yes. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, no, you say that. <laughs> I had a 90, right? Which is, uh-huh. the, most people are going, a 90 what? A Honda 90? No, an Alfa Romeo 90. And the one that yep. I had was the gold clover leaf. Lovely. Yeah. Very nice. Yes. Quadrifoglio Oro, he said, <laughs> mangling the Italian, beautiful Italian language. <laughs> What a wacky car. What a yep. wacky car. Digital display. So the rev counter was like green lights, orange lights, red lights. It, it, the whole thing. It was like it was like they'd said, okay, okay, we need to get away from beautiful, curvaceous cars with white Barani wire wheels and wooden steering wheels, you know, nardy mm-hmm. steering wheels and leather yep. seats and all that. We need to come kicking and screaming into the 1970s. So it's going to be drail on everywhere, plastic wood, digital displays, and wacky styling. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they, Alpha just embraced it with that car. I mean, it had it a great, is. it had a fantastic engine. It had the Busso 2.5 V6, um, the same one that was in my Alpha. I bought it because I blew the, I put a, a big hole in the block in my GTV6. What's that? Mm-hmm. I'm asking you about a British motorway. I don't know why. You're Irish. But I'm, I was asking you anyway. Is it the, it's the M42. That's it. M42. Mm-hmm. I'd worked out that there were speed cameras all over the M6 and speed cameras all over the M1. But the bit of a link that you went on, the M42, the link road, no cameras. So I've mean, had a bit of a boring drive going past endless roadworks and cameras on going down to London from Manchester on the M6. I got on the M42. I thought, right, I could actually give it some... Uh, Put a big hole in the Give side. Some beans. Put a big hole in the side of the block, <laughs> and I thought, right, okay, I need an engine. And I saw this Alpha ninety advertised for sale. Went to see it. It was his pride and joy. This bloke, um, and he. It was one of those things where the guy said he, you know, he'd always thought he was going to restore it because it was. How old would it have been then? Well, it was. It was at least sort of sixteen, seventeen years yeah, old I when, say 20, when 20, I got it yes. off the guy. Yeah. And it was it was definitely a bit crispy around the edges, but it had done it had, <laughs> it had done no miles. It had done no miles. I'll never like I'll never forget getting in that car and him showing me how you might remember this, but it's before your time. But you might be told about it. The bloke showing me how the dashboard on the passenger side, when you put the key in what seems to be the glove box, if you turned it right back the other way and pushed it in the whole thing popped out of the dashboard and turned into an attractive executive briefcase. Wow. I swear to God, with a big alpha <laughs> logo on it, a plastic <laughs> briefcase, a grey plastic briefcase with a plastic handle and a big alpha logo. Who wouldn't want to walk around with one of those? I'm going to have to Google that. I haven't seen that so haven't I you? swear to God, you'll look at it and you'll think, <laughs> did they honestly do that? Yeah. And, and again, loads of the, and I think um, similar to like a Citroen SM or certain Saabs, mm-hmm. loads of controls above you at like head height in the sort of above the windscreen and stuff like that. Loads in of like bu- a Knight Rider kit panel above your head. <laughs> yeah, like an aeroplane. You know, like, oh, hold on a minute. Cabin doors to manual, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Crazy. And again, the car bought um, for the engine. For the engine, I yep. needed the engine for my GTV6, which was just sitting there with a big hole in the block, as I've just uh, described. 
But I drove back from, it was only in Stockport, which is 12 miles away. It's great, you know, because I thought, oh, this thing's going to be in Octomukti or, or, or Tilbury. Or when you see it, it's so annoying, isn't it? You, you, back in the day, I mean, on, on, on the internet, and now obviously you can customise it so that it doesn't show you stuff from too far away. But back in yeah. the day, when you looked in the auto trader, you'd say, oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, look at that. Where is it? In the nest. Damn it. It was always, yes, you know, it was always <laughs> hundreds of miles away, right? This was 12 miles down the road. So I went and got it, drove it back, and drove it back. And it was, obviously, it's got the 2.5 boost saw. So I'm coming back on roads that I know, and it's like, meh, meh. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I, this is great. And I, I kind of, I like the fact that it was so damn ugly. You know, I think certain cars, like my pal's got a, a Citroen Mahari. Do you know what that is? No, what's that? Right, it's like the, you know, there's, oh, hold on, we're going into it. You know what the other one is. You know, like a mini Mok is made out yes, of a I mini. Have. Right. Well, a Citroen Mahari is like a Mok made out oh, of. Oh, is that wee orange thing? There's, they're, they're like an orange base. I think um, a lot of them are orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, there's one sets of. Miles from here, I know, I know what you're talking about. And he's an Aston Martin man. He's got a beautiful Aston Martin. And I said, "What's the thing with them Citroens?" And he said, "I think I like them because they're so damn ugly." And yep. I said, "Yeah, there's, they're so ugly that they've got a real sort of cute factor." And it was the same with this Alpha Ninety. I used to look at it and think, "How did Italians design this? Look at it. <laughs> it looks like it was designed by Russians. It's complete. <laughs> the shape is awful." But it was it it wasn't bland, you know, like that Seat that I can't remember the name of. That was bland, but this was yeah. ugly, and so it kind of made it. You know, every time I got out of it, people would go, "What's that?" And I go, "Oh, it it's stu- a- it stood out because of what yeah. it was." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do like a car. Uh, I recently had a Jaguar XJR that had been sort of hot rodded. So Lovely. The, uh-huh. Yeah, it was great. The guy had had uh, the pulley kit and the factory delete exhaust system i love it when a car manufacturer does that they say uh yeah so they there's your car and then they sort of like take you on one side and have a quick look, look around and go if you want we've got these exhausts that are, that are like dead like dead loud they're not really legal right but we can sell them to you and it'll we'll sound it'll sound awesome and you'll get about 10 horsepower more and it's like <laughs> it's almost like it's like they're leading you. It's like they're the people that your mother warned you about. Oh, you don't want to be hanging around with the wrong sort. It's like you feel as though all the bike makers do it. All the motorcycle manufacturers are like, yeah, yeah, there's your bike. Oh, yeah, we've got a loud exhaust. Not for highway use. And you think, well, what's it for then? You say, <laughs> it's a road bike. It's got a screen. It's got heated grips. And you're telling me that there's an exhaust for it that's not for highway use. It's like they're going... They're basically saying, look, we'll sell you it, but it's nothing to do with us, right? And if you tell the police that we sold it, yeah, we'll deny it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't us. <laughs> it's almost like they're doing and that. And you're not getting a receipt. <laughs> so when you say you were going to cut that golf, we'll get back to that golf. When you say you were going to cut that golf in half and turn it into a barbecue, is that something yes. you'd done before? Or No, I've, 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 and since I've... I have a wee Mark 1 Golf sitting out there now, which I was going to do the same with, but I just can't ever bring myself to do it because it's killing the wee car. But I do have a, have a, have a Mark uh, 3 Caddy Volkswagen down there, which is a trailer. So I've got a, a Mark 3 Caddy and then an identical trailer on the back of it, like the van's driving along. 
on the van, if you know what I mean. Where I go, where I my little office in the centre of Manchester, where I park, it's all kind of BMW, Audi, Kia, BMW, Kia, Kia, Audi, BMW. And then on the end, there's like my X... Oh, I've got... Oh, I don't have the XJR. So it was my XJR or mm-hmm. my little Alpha or my Triumph motorbike or whatever, you know. And and in that car park, the only other interesting vehicle was a much younger guy with one of those caddy pickup trucks. Yes. But lowered with the... Uh, you know, and, and he's got the sort of, he's in a car club, so he's got the car club logo, they've laser cut it out of steel, sheet steel or whatever. So we started talking because, you know, you think, oh, a fellow enthusiast. And even though he's like less than half my age, you know, you've got something in common. So we started chatting. And then I've got to tell you one, and I thought that I said to him, he'd lowered it and he'd done all sorts of things to it. I could see he was doing it all on a budget, you know, and I, I, yep. I said, mm-hmm. I really dig what you're doing and, he said, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm having to do it all myself and I want to do this and I want to do that. But, you know, he's li- like he said, living in the city, city centre of Manchester, it's getting up to like London prices for rent. I realise it's when, you, when you're that age and you've got bills to pay and you're also an enthusiast, you're not on a great wage. It's tough, you, but you've got to do stuff yourself. I've got to ask you yeah. this. Then one day I turn up and it's sitting on four space servers. What the hell's all that about? Is that yeah, thing that, the young? That, is that, that thing the young thing people are doing? <laughs> that that was a that was a thing for a wee while in that in that uh, scene. Yes, <laughs> he painted the the space servers a different colour, like a sort of a burnt orange colour. He'd taken off the stickers saying "Do not exceed fifty miles an hour" and all that stuff. But they were yeah. definitely space servers, and I thought, <laughs> I thought, right, don't be the old guy who doesn't understand what the young people are into. <laughs> and I, so I saw him, and I thought, I've got to mention it. I can't not mention it. And I said, uh, how does it handle on those uh, on those tyres? And he said, it doesn't. It doesn't really handle. <laughs> it doesn't really handle. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, it wouldn't. You've put four spaceships. So that was a yeah. thing. That's not a thing anymore, is it? That's gone away. I think. Well, I think the police put an end to that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I, I, think saw... the, I think the police might have had something to say about that. <laughs> But I get. But here was the thing. I could. I totally understood why, because yep. you're 23. You haven't got any money. You want to make your car look different. How can you cheaply make it look different? Get yep. four space server tires. Buy four space servers. Uh, put them on the car. Paint the inside a different color, and it'll it'll everyone will be freaked out a bit by it, including middle aged guys like I try not to be that guy. I try not to be that guy on the internet going. Oh, what do they think the bloody wall doing? Oh, the young people. Oh. But you look back, you look back to back in the eighties and the the old minis and so on, and people would have taken the ten inch mini steel wheel, taken it off and put it on inside out, back to front, so it sat out further. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. Well, I had mini lights on my, on mine, um, and yeah, uh, I have. yes, yeah, yeah, and that, uh, yeah, yeah. I am fully cognizant with. Um, making vehicles far less practical than they were to start with purely so that they stand out a bit and then <laughs> and then realizing realizing that living living with the consequences of it like running a race bike a racing motorcycle on the road i wanted yeah. to do it i did it it was terrible it was awful bump start everywhere 
no headlight, just a brake light and a stop light, which just about got it through an MOT. No stand, so you had to find somewhere to lean it up against, and it was usually lying on its side when you came back to it. And after yep. a just jarring, bone-jarring suspension, <laughs> or the, the Lancia Delta Integrale that I had, which was all the interior stripped out, fully caged, five-point harnesses. You had to put yourself in a five-point harness to go down to Tesco to get a pint of milk and a loaf of bread. You had to, when people got in it, there was no dashboard. That was all stripped out. It was a hill climb car that I bought off this guy. It was, it had a huge turbo on it, crazy exhaust, which meant that if you went on any kind of journey and anybody sat in the passenger seat, the, the, the single box was right underneath their seat. And so, <laughs> and so, and so, are you familiar with the expression "Betty Swallocks? Yes. Because <laughs> if you but got also, that, also, also too, if he was strapped in with the, the belts on, you couldn't reach the heater controls. Yeah. So you no. had to set the heater before you left. There weren't any heater controls. There wasn't a radio. And what, but what there was was I, I, I had uh, there was in the in the door uh, the doors. I used to put packets of. Uh, Air, air defenders, ear uh, earplugs, <laughs> and, and I get in and I put them in, and people would look at me and they'd be going, "He's doing that for effect," and then we'd set off down the road and they'd be rum, they'd be getting these ear, <laughs> earplugs. <laughs> it was so loud. I don't, I'd say I'd, I'd, I wouldn't say to anybody, "Don't do it." If somebody says, "I'd love to take like uh, you know an old touring car, an old NASCAR, put it on the road, an old race bike, put it yeah. on the road." Try it, but uh, I guarantee you won't do it for long. <laughs> but if, again, you look look back, and my, my first car was a wee, it was a, a thousand cc mini, nineteen eighty one, and but it had been built into a full wooden picket replica, de seamed. Wow! So it was so it was de seamed. It had the lovely wooden picket replica dash where the speedo wasn't in the middle; it was in front of you. So you had to use a maxi speedo cable to make it work, and so on. And a lot went into it, but. Uh, Again, because it was de-seamed, looks stunning, looks amazing. The first time it rains, you realise that uh, Sir Alec and Sigonis put gutters on for a reason, because you opened the door and you got soaked and the water came in. You couldn't, uh, I couldn't have carpet inside it because the amount of water that always came in had, had to have a sponge in each foot well. Every time it rained, you were sponging the car out. And, uh, you know, it's, again, practicality. Isn't it funny how... When they talk about the Isagonis Mini, the the original Mini, which I think is the greatest car of all time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they say about it is they always say, oh, it was classless, the Beatles all had one, and Twiggy had one, and the Queen's cousin had one, and, you know, and Peter Sellers had one, and you go, yeah, yeah, hold on a second, hold on a second. They had wooden picket minis. Exactly, wooden picket Ra- Radford minis. And then yeah. if you talk to somebody who really knows their minis... Uh, like uh, Johnny from uh, Mini Sport or Andy Ace Harrison, some of the mm-hmm. mini experts here in the UK, they'll tell you that the bill from Wooden Picket or Radford for what was done to that mini, you know, when they say, oh, it was just the common person's, it was classless. You you wouldn't have felt classless when you looked at the bill from Wooden Picket for the work that they'd done on your no, mini. No, they, they were expensive. <laughs> Andy had um, Ringo's mini. He, yeah, he had uh-huh. Ringo's mini in his in his in his shop in Bradford, um, wow, uh-huh. because it was bought at auction by Christian Horner, and he sent it up to Andy for work, because Andy's one of the people in the in the world, 
And um, he said, when it arrived, he said it had a drum kit in it. <laughs> and I said to him, <laughs> I said to him, it was probably put there by the auctioneers just to kind of, you know, fluff it up yeah, a to, bit, to, if you to will. Pick it up, yeah. yeah. Oh. I said, it wouldn't have been one of Ringo's drum kits. And he said, <laughs> he said, yeah, but the thing was, Steve, obviously the internet, this is, this is the effect the internet has on our life. The first thing I did, he said, was I, I, I googled how much is a genuine Ringo Starr drum kit worth, and it came up with some absolutely mind-blowing <laughs> figure. <laughs> so he said, "I'm looking at the figure on the screen. It's at an auction, really, an original Hamburgier Ringo Starr drum kit sold for, and it was like way more than the car was worth." So Andy's straight on the phone going. This drum kit, and they went, no, no, it's just a drum kit, and he was like, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> you know, he thought, I hope they haven't sent it up with with a Ringo Starr drum kit in it. But he, of course, he'd sent it. I think that was Radford that did that. He'd sent it. It off. was Radford, yes. Yeah, uh, yep. And they put like a, they made it, they made it a hatchback, and they put all this sort of so that the the drum kit fitted in almost like fitted luggage. That's right. That's right. Remember the big the big hatchback on the on the back of it with the lights slotted further to the side. I the, of those old customized minis like that, the one that I look at and think was absolutely spot on, wasn't the Steve McQueen one because the colours on that one, which are sort of like brown and beige, are a bit well. It's brown and beige. Mm-hmm. The one that they did for James Garner, Jim Rockford, that was the guy that was in Grand Prix. Did Rad- that have twin twin headlights on the front? I I've only ever seen a picture of it from the side. But it's mm-hmm. the wheels and the stance of it and the colour. Yep. It's like it's like a rich dark blue colour. It's yep. it's just aged a lot better. I tell you what, I, I tell you right. A pet hate of mine. Really wide wheels on minis. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Uh, again, that goes back when people used to flip the steels inside out and they sat out past the uh, the wee black arches. What are the what are the races that I will watch over and over again on YouTube in the way that sad men like us do? Is uh, nineteen seventy one Crystal Palace? Jerry yes. Marshall is in the Viva, the Viva GT. Yes, well, a, I know that race. There's mm-hmm. a squadron of minis in that race, and the racing yep. is absolutely. There's it's a such a great race because there's one guy's in a Camaro. <laughs> it's like there's a Camaro, and then there's um, some escorts. Although they're they're not really escorts; they've got like Hewlett gearboxes in it, also mid-engined yep. and all sorts of crazy stuff. But there are these minis, and the minis are there mixing it with cars that have got three, four times the capacity, three, four times the horsepower. And you watch that race, and to see minis, not. It's great to watch Nick Swift and Nick Padmore and the guys that you see at, at Goodwood in the minis. Totally. Uh, Nick Swift is a legend when it comes to that. And when you see him racing, there was one in particular, it was a, wasn't it a Mustang? And he it, it followed the laps of the Mustang. And he was passing the Mustang. He was leaving it sitting on the corners. And then, obviously, on the street, he was passing Nick again. But it was just like cat and mouse, the whole, the whole race. I am not, even though it's going to sound like it, Having a go at those guys, Nick Padmore, Nick Swift, all the Jonathan Lewis, the mini legends that exist now at places like Jonathan will like me mentioning him there. Um, but he is, he's kind of usually there or thereabouts. Yep, totally. Um, there's been a lot of 
innovation. There's been a lot of technology that's coming. I'm not decrying the driving that was done, but it's done now. But when you look at them racing them in period, the car is behaving differently. And, and well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to say you, you, that the car was harder to drive back in the day. Oh, well, you look at the likes of um, Grant Williams in the that beautiful by 12 Mark 1 Jag, and he drifts a racetrack in that whilst he's racing, you know, in the, a proper race. And if, uh, if you ever have driven a Mark II Jag or whatever, and you know how ropey they are, you know, they're, you're steering, you're holding the wheat in the steering wheel, the brakes aren't the best, but it's the whole experience of it. You appreciate more how these guys, one, race them, and two, even back in the day when they were being, you know, driven around the, the, the goodies and the baddies and so on, the skill involved in being a, a wheelman back then with these cars with, you know, it's it's amazing how cars have came on. Yeah, especially when you see a circuit like Crystal Palace, where it's like yes. tree wall, wall tree, yep. drop off. You just think, oh, yeah, you really, really don't want to, want to be getting it wrong there. But it's so much the modern spectacle of motorsport where they're on a modern circuit that's been designed with F1 in mind from the outset. I mean, I remember a few years ago, I was at Misano on a bike, uh, on a motorcycle course, and I got out, and uh, it was fairly intimidating. It was like a one-to-one with a with a, a world-class motorcycle racer, and, um, you know, he was kind of pushing. He was pushing me and the other guy. There was me and this one other guy uh, that were on the... Tyson Beckford, the uh, internationally renowned male model. That was <laughs> that was such a strange. <laughs> no, it was such a strange few days that I spent there with the underwear Ralph Lauren underwear model Tyson Be- <laughs> Tyson Beckford. It was so weird, and, and you know, he um, we we bonded the two of us. It was you know we're not we're obviously it was a bit like. Um, the Persuaders, do you remember that with Roger Moore and yep. Tony Curtis? Yes, where it's like, yep. uh-huh. there's this American and there's this, there's this Brit and they're really <laughs> different, but they're like good mates. It was a bit like that because we were, we both, I think the camaraderie came from the fact that we were pushed pretty hard on this course to improve our riding. And yes. we, we were at Misano and we were on very quick bikes and with amazing tyres. We had, you know, the, the backup that, that we had and the resources. We were actually there to promote this course, which cost a lot of... We weren't paying. Uh, we were getting paid, but which is great. <laughs> but it was still intimidating to be in that environment where somebody who's world-class is pushing you to to improve your riding and to go as fast as you possibly can safely. Yep. But the fact that it was... A, you know, because I'd done a lot of riding on British circuits like Alton Park, uh, Thruxton, Cadwell... Donington particularly, where you really don't want to believe in the circuit. There are there are certain places on all those circuits I mentioned, particularly Oak yep. Park, where you really don't want to believe in the circuit. Got no, to, there, got there's to, no forgiveness whatsoever. Got to be sad, though. I thought, I don't mind falling off. It's good. We could, we could. <laughs> I binned it at about 60 in a corner. And the bike just slid away from me, and I was wearing... I, I don't want to be too casual about that. It's only about 60 miles an hour. I binned it, I rode it off the edge of the tyres. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, well, that's what the instructor said. He said, I went off the edge of the tyres, and that was it. It just went away from me. And I just slid along on my back protector and my superb Italian Dionysia leathers, 
and I got up and I had some scuff marks. I'm feeling yep. no pain. Tyson came up in the afternoon going twice as fast. And his bike ended up hundreds of yards from where, from where he ended up. But again, he, he he got a pickup truck, went out and gave him a lift back. And he got out there and I said, are you all right, man? And he went, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. And I thought, wow, isn't it yep. amazing that there are no circuits where even on a bike you can come off more than 100 miles an hour and most of the time you, you, might, be, you might be walking wounded. You might be walking yep. wounded. You might do a collarbone. You might do a wrist or something like that. But the circuits have been designed so that people can race in safety. But when I watch, as a spectator, when I watch people racing on circuits like that, I find it a bit clinical, I have to say. I know it's a horrible thing to say. I'm almost saying, no, no, I want all the the big immovable objects in the way that, you know, that (laughs) that are dangerous. (laughs) But I think it's proximity. Do you know what I'm saying? I think it's yes, because yes. because it's all so open, you get no impression of speed at all. Yeah, it, it, it looks slow because there's so much space around. Crystal Palace, there was a camera position there. The BBC used to cover a lot of races there. And I actually went on a bit of a pilgrimage up to the Crystal Palace uh, circuit to see if I could find any of the track that was still there. And there's and like, is, is, is there any, any track still there? A tiny, there's like a curb that you think, oh, yeah, that was the paint with sort of bits of paint on it. This is a while ago. This is six or seven years ago when I lived in London. I just went up there. I was kind of watching it on YouTube, and I thought, I'll go up there and see if if there's anything that you can see of the track that's still left. And I I found a couple of bits. I thought, yeah, yeah, that's part of when it was a race circuit. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, you can go, obviously, you can go to places of tracks that aren't used anymore. My favourite's Reams, because the whole thing at Reams... Is still obviously still there because it was just That's right. it was just a big triangle and uh, which yeah. was public roads. The public roads are still there. The markings. Oh, and my other favourite, Aintree, Aintree at Liverpool, where the the markings on the grid are kind of still there. The 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 first time that as an Irishman, this wouldn't mean that much to you, but a British mm-hmm. a British driver won in a British car, won the British Grand Prix, uh-huh, uh, yes. although it was an old school win. Because do you know who that was that was the first Brit to win the British Grand Prix in a British car? No. Who's no. the most famous British racing driver of that era? Not Moss. Yes, Sterling Moss. Oh, Moss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah, but yeah. it was an old school win, and it was mm-hmm. it was one of those things where you where people argue about motor racing, thinking that this sort of things never happened before, and then you go, excuse me, back in the day. Because what happened, that people will talk about team orders and who's the, who's the team principal and who's the backup driver and is there rivalry or should they work together, all that sort of thing. Sterling Moss's car failed during the Grand Prix, so they pulled in the other driver, Tony Brooks, and said, get the car, Tony. <laughs> and, and back in the day, that was standard practice. If you were the number two guy, it was, come on out of the car. It's like, and still he got in and won the race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. So, it, so you you had the mini, the wooden picket replica. What came yes. after that? Uh, there was. Do you know the way you get wee moments in your life where you sit and you think, my goodness, and you change something? I was sitting 
in the Mini one day in the driveway at the back. We had a mum and dad had a lovely Vauxhall Senator, a three litre CDI, loved the car. And I was sitting in the driveway at the park at the back of it and the Mini was lowered on we gas shocks. It had 10 inch, three 10 inch wheels. And my eye line was looking at the bottom of the number plate on the back of the Senator. And I remember thinking, Craigie, if I ever have a bump in this, I haven't got much around me. So at that time, then I thought to myself, well, let's see what else we've got. And I was looking at a Mark 1 Escort, uh, a Ford Corsair, but then a Mark 1 Golf came along. So I went and had a look at it. And next thing I drove home, 250 pounds later, a wee Mark 1, 1.1 Volkswagen Golf, wee white three-door. And it was like a Rolls Royce in comparison. <laughs> Simon, for some reason, I've got it in my head that used cars are really expensive in the Republic. Because my missus is in Canada, where, yep, uh-huh. where used cars are ridiculously expensive. Whereas, of course, in the UK, you can go... But it looks like I'm wrong. Or were you, were you just able to buy... I mean, if you tried to buy a Mark 1 Golf now... Oh, the the crazy money! It's a no, but again, we're we're in Northern Ireland here, so it's we we didn't get hit with all the the VRTs and so on that the Southern Ireland would have. So is so it, we're is still it, we're still linked right. up with in 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 the UK end. So are so you are you able to buy cars across the? Were you able to buy cars across the border, or did did cars have to very much remain in either the Republic or in in Northern Ireland? You can buy cars across, but they put that much tax on them. It makes right. it not worthwhile unless it says you know a classic car or something special. Uh, that's the only reason you would do it. You know you wouldn't just go and say, "Oh look, there's a you know a five-year-old Mondeo or whatever." You know we'll we'll buy that. So it was, uh, but we we could still and again back then this is going back to 1995, 96, 97. You could still buy all those wee cars. The the the, the sub one thousand pound section yeah. in the Auto Trader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Full. Love it. You know? Yeah, it was a, a funny. I found a, a copy of a, an old auto trader here going back to, I think, one of the very first ones where it was, it's only got like 35 pages in it. Wow. And I was going through it the other night. But, uh, no, so I bought that wee golf and it was just like luxury. The wipers actually cleared the windscreen. I had a, you know, going from a mini, I had a heater which war- didn't just, you know, keep the windows from being demisted, but it, it warmed me up too. And that that started me on my. I always loved the Volkswagens, and uh, had a, an old neighbour as a kid who uh, would have rallied Mark II Golf GTIs and stuff back in the mid eighties. So well, whenever... Ireland's the home of road racing. Whether it, whether it comes to tarmac rally or, or motorcycle road racing, it is. So it is rallying and road racing here is just incredible. Uh, I, I can't I can't uh, recommend enough to just come over and be part of it. It is amazing to be part of. Uh, it's And, uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, so that having been in that rally car from a kid, that got me in the Volkswagens, and I got... Uh, I went from the Mark 1, 1.1 Mark 1, up to a wee GTI Golf, and so on. Unless you still have my, my GTI Golf today, you know, 20-plus years later. Because I was, was going to say, ooh, I bet you wish you wish you kept that, don't you? Oh, you have kept it. <laughs> I have kept it, yes. I've still got the wee cars sitting there still. I'll never part with it. It's, uh, it's part of the family now. <laughs> so you started to work, as you say, you worked for Alfa Romeo. Did you, did you 
always want to work in the motor trade or the motor industry or with cars, so to speak? Yeah, I've always been a, a car nut from I was no age. My, my dad loved his cars and so on. And uh, uh, even when I, for the day I passed my driving test, I got I asked my dad to take me up to a local, again, these places don't exist anymore. But back in 1994, we had a local car garage owned by a, a gentleman called Ronnie McCartney, who was a, a ride, rally driver here. And he had this yard. And every time I drove past it in my dad's car as a passenger, you looked in and you had Lotus Cortinas, HSR Strats, MGs, Porsches, Ferraris, all sitting there, old roses, mixed in with Austin Montegos, Protons, Renault 5s. You know, it was just a wee, a wee car place that sold everything. And the day I passed my driving test, I got my dad to take me up there. And I just said, hi, Ronnie, I'm Simon. Can I work for you for free? And thus started what I didn't realize two of the most incredible years of my life and uh, what was just, you know, teach me so much for the rest of my life too. Uh, it was a, a, an honour to, to be part of that world wow. at that time. So what was what was the most outrageous car that you got to drive at a ridiculously young age because of that job? I remember uh, within, I think Ronnie gathered quite quickly that I wasn't a messer, so he, he, he trusted me to, 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 to drive the cars. I can remember, um, I used to always used to love taking pictures of the cars that you let me take home with my R-plates on in the driveway. Uh, it, there was one day, there was a brand new M5 BMW. <laughs> uh, it was stunning. The metallic silver, collected it from a, a dealer in Belfast, and he dropped me off and says, right, take that, but I need I need you to be here in a couple, three, four hours' time. So fire on home and take it for a spin, you know, in the middle. And I can remember on my R-plates, only a month or two driving, in this brand new M5 BMW. It was just incredible. But there was uh, everything that you'd... Let me... Ferrari Tessa Rossa, I can remember. Uh, all the old classics. Lovely MGAs and BGTs and Hillmans. It, it was endless, the cars I got to drive back then. And uh, just um, incredible. And that's, again made it even my what's the word my car disease even worse yeah well it would wouldn't it it would yeah definitely i remember a pal of mine told me that i, I don't think you can beat this one he said his father was called up to the british army as part of na- national service back in the uh the late 1950s uh-huh. and he was uh stationed at catterick in north yorkshire and they were on parade he hadn't been there long they were on parade and the sergeant asked for a volunteer to drive a drive to Aldershot, right? So he said, right, mm-hmm. who, who's, who can drive? Who can drive? So he volunteered. He, and I said, can he drive? He said, no. He just he just thought he'd be able to pick it up along the way. <laughs> so he thought, I could probably drive a car to Aldershot. <laughs> Where's Aldershot? He didn't even know where Aldershot was. Of course, it's like, you know, 200 and odd miles um, from uh, Catterick to Aldershot. And so uh, he reports to the vi- reports to where he's supposed to, and there's this great big truck, like a four-ton truck. <laughs> like, so that that's the vehicle. And then the guy said to him, uh, "Can you drive?" And he went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He thought it's too late to back out now. Yeah. So he said, uh, "Have you got your license?" And he said, uh, "And he said, thinking quickly, he said, no, it's at home, you know, back in Bolton.'" And so the sergeant said to him, "Report to stores and get another license." 
So he said he went to. This is how it was in Britain in the fifties. He went to the. He went to the stores and they went. Uh, I need to get a driving license. Name Ashton. Uh, Ashton. Right. Right. There's your driving license. And then when he left the army, he just exchanged that piece of paper that had been written out on that day. Um. For a regular driving license, a and then proper license, yeah, and then drove on that driving license for the rest of his life. And I said, "What about the trip?" I said to my pal, "What about the trip?" And he said, "He said, yeah, yeah, it took a bit of getting used to, but after a few miles, he'd sort of worked it all out." And you think, "Yeah, it must have been," because you think, "How would that be possible?" But you think, "Yeah, if it was the fifties, there would have been no traffic. You know, you would have been yep, sort of much quieter." And it's got, you've got a wheel and you've got three pedals and you've got a stick. So you sort of, once you've, <laughs> once you've worked out what each one does, you know, and he just, he, he just drove down to all the shot and then that was it. Like I say, and then came out of the army, gave the piece of paper to somebody at a post office and they gave him a real drive, a, a real driving license. <laughs> <laughs> so was he, New cars or was it old cars? Because it's the, if there's a theme of this show and the enthusiasm um, across the board that people have for cars and bikes, the one thing that seems to be commonplace is that people often want cars from the past. They're yeah, not old then... cars, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, because also you can you can relate to them. The I wonder why you can have them. Is, is it because you can fix them? Is it because you can actually physically get to grips with them? Because I think the biggest change is early to mid nineties, sealed electronics, ECUs, all that comes in, Correct. Fuel, fuel injection and everything, carburetors disappear, and from then on you've got to have. Specialist kit that you plug in, diagnostics, etc. Diagnostics and so on. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which... But even I, I saw it start to go well in my head. It started to go wrong back. It was around the nineteen, I say late nineties, and uh, I was working in a an accident repair centre at the time. And I'll always remember there was certain vehicles at that era you always saw coming in. For example, that was the era of the the one hundred six Peugeot was not long about. And you were getting the free insurance on it. Everyone was getting that. And they came, they did a special edition which had a, a Clarion CD player. And we were getting two to three in every day that had been broken into. So they bend the top of the door out uh, and they were stealing the, the CD players. And that, that was, but uh, I digress. That era was uh, the debut Matiz had just came out. And it, that was the first car I'd ever seen where you could have a debut Matiz which was three months old. It had had a bump into the into something at say thirty miles an hour, and it was a write-off because those wee cars, because they were so close front-ended, if it tapped anything, you you had to get a front bumper, two headlights, bonnet, two wings, slam panel inside. But then they had airbags, so two airbags, two airbag ECUs, some modules, and by the time all of that was done, the car was a write-off because the amount of that it cost for the electronics. Yeah. That was it. It was worth more. The electronics were actually worth replace more than what the car was to the, replace. The last time I was living in London, I had a London car, and uh, people think, "Well, what's a London car? A car you're not really bothered about. A car that you don't pay much for." Come in full circle in this conversation, and we will we will Back stop. To the we'll have, we will have to st- stop in just a sec. But it's been brilliant to to have you on the show <laughs> as a guest, Simon. Really great. 
but uh, apart from me thinking that you live in the uh, south of Ireland rather than the north, <laughs> which is which is a fairly massive. See, when the the thing was when you started talking, I thought, wow, this guy really sounds like Patrick Kielty, who I know is from the north, right? <laughs> so, why quite why I didn't sort of immediately trigger that you are from the north, but anyway. Well, let's 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 not get too deep into that. No but um, I had a London car. I had a Citroen XM. People say, well, oh, and it was beautiful big it, car. It, yeah, uh-huh. it was the perfect London car. Two liter turbo, petrol, automatic. Not the best spec for an XM, but it was cheap when I bought it. I bought it sight unseen. I was in the states, browsing eBay. Nothing worse. Saw it. It was going what seemed cheap, and it was uh, in Luton, and I was flying back to the UK on a ticket that took me to um, Heathrow. So I thought, right, okay, there's a shuttle service between Heathrow and Luton. (laughs) For the amount of money that I'm paying for this XM, if I got back, went into London and just bought a train ticket when I turned up, it's not that much different to get yeah, back to, so to get back may to well buy a car for it. Yeah, to get back to Manchester because at the time I was doing um, a reverse commute to what you're supposed to do. I was working in Manchester and living in London, which is really not. That's like living in New York and working in New Jersey. I'm, I'm sure there's an equivalent to that all over the world, where it's like, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to go the other way. Well, I yeah. was living in London, working in Manchester, and I had this Citroen X7. The best thing about that, of course was that it had the height-adjustable hydro-pneumatic suspension. So even in the streets around where I lived, where there were just speed bumps and humps and all, all <laughs> just everywhere, completely unavoidable, I just drove at like whatever speed I wanted to. I just jacked the Citroen up in the air and got going, and it was like a flying carpet. It was fantastic. But I went to visit a pal of mine who built custom motorbikes near the Ace Cafe in North London, parked the Citroen outside, and we heard this horrible bang. And what it was, right at the bottom of that road, was one of the biggest uh, food and drink cash and carries in the UK. Mm-hmm. And trucks were regularly arriving from all over Europe, and one of them had hit this Citroen. Get, get this, it hadn't just hit it. We think he was turning left, and what had happened was the back of his truck had swung out and it had grabbed b- it with the bar at the back, had it? Or? That is exactly what had happened, Simon. It yeah. hadn't just hit yep. it, it had broken the hatchback window, broken the passenger window, bent the B pillar right back, Ooh. broken the driver's. Uh, window and then it had hooked around the a pillar and dragged the car 150 yards down the street and it was just there in the middle of the road looking like it had been smoked by the hand of god so i thought is is a strange postscript to that i put that car up for sale for spares uh it was still drivable mm-hmm, um, yeah. all the glass was gone on one side and the you know, the doors wouldn't open or close. The doors were shut, but you couldn't open them. You know, it was a spares car. And a chap turned up to buy it, and the man could neither speak nor hear. And so when he arrived, he he arrived with a a pencil and a pad of Mm post-it notes and would write, I've come for the car on a post-it note, and then asked me to write as well. I said, Right, will you sign the V5? And like, and then he go, yes. Have you got a pen? You know, it was like that. And and then he drove <laughs> off in it. He just set off with no glass. One side completely caved in. One side, that's that, that's his problem. Right. 
So I replaced that XM uh, with the insurance money, and I bought an old Mercedes 126, a W126 300SE. Very nice, yes. Pearl, get, get this. Very nice. Pearl white with a deep red drail on interior. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the wagon. Right, that's the wagon. So, so, so here's my point. We went to Brooklands. We, we, me and the missus went to Brooklands for an event that was there at the weekend. Obviously, uh-huh. the, the site of the world's first motor racing circuit, the Brooklands yes. Aerodrome, the Bentley Boys, and all that sort of stuff. So we went down there, had a great, and we took her, one of her friends was over from uh, Canada, and we we took her with with us, and she was in the back, and we were coming back through London. It was a Sunday afternoon. We decided to go down the South Bank, sit by the river. You know, it was a lovely summer's day. We were having a great time until we stopped at a zebra crossing because people mm-hmm. were stepping onto it. So I stop in the Mercedes at this zebra crossing, and there's an almighty bang, an almighty bang. And it turns out that this young Italian guy who's driving this van, delivering something, he's driven all the way from Italy, he's got, oh, to, Lo- no. he's got to London, and his question to me was, why did you stop? And I said oh. to him, because this is Britain. And when somebody steps onto one of those black and white stripes in the middle of the road with the tall black and white poles with the orange globe on top, you Flashing, have yep. to stop. You can't just run them down. Oh. <laughs> I think I said it to you like this. You can't just run them down in the street, you idiot. But here was the thing. <laughs> Went round the back of the Mercedes and he was in a modern, one of those generic vans that's like a Citroen, it's a Peugeot, it's a Fiat, it's a whatever. It's a Nissan of Oxford. Yeah, yeah, a white box van. It looked like it had been, it looked like it had been hoisted to the top of the post office tower and thrown off the other side. It yep. was destroyed. And I know, <laughs> I know that it's designed to do that, that, you know, Euro NCAP, all that sort of stuff, it all crumples, it all breaks, it all splinters. But the van was a complete write-off. Yep. When he extricated it from the back of my Mercedes, I had a cracked rear light glass on the right-hand side. <laughs> I mean, when they built that S-Class, in the, the 126 uh, in the factory, they called it the Panzerwagen. Yep. That is a two-ton motor car. It was a long wheelbase one as well. That's yep, a two-ton plus car. And when he hit it in this van... It was it was telling. I mean, I I drove home. You know, I drove. We were, you know, yep. we were we were. My partner's friend was pretty upset. My my partner's not that bothered. She rides motorbikes and she goes on the back of motorbikes. And she rides her own bikes and she goes on the back with me. So she's not that bothered by anything involving a car where there's like loads of metal around you. Because compared yep. to motorbikes, it's really not that scary. But a friend was a bit shaken up because she was in the back and she was going thank and she was like. When we eventually took her back, I'll never forget it, she was like hugging the Mercedes. She was like, thank you, thank you. You know, because she was, she was convinced. She was convinced that the only reason she was still alive is because we were in this two-ton, you know, German Panzerwagen. Yeah, big, Whereas, a big lump. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. But, yeah, well. Just, you mentioned there about uh, the, the, the Brooklyns and all the, the Bentley and so on. If I could ask... Oh, here we one go. That, You're turning the tables, can... Simon. You're turning the tables, man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, so, go on. But back as a kid, I always remember, uh, do you remember the Beast? John Dodd's Beast. John Dodd's Beast, yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that 
um, when you did that back back in the day, and that as a, when I was younger, that was just awe awe inspiring for me uh, because that had the the big uh, was it the Merlin twenty seven well, liter wasn't it engine? There lies a controversy, Simon. Yeah. Oh, was it because... a was it a Merlin engine or was it? Now, of course, the Merlin engine, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the myth of Merlin, the legend of Merlin, that was that in Britain's time of need, Merlin would come back to save us. And in many ways, Merlin did come back to save us. The Rolls-Royce Merlin engine, um, as was featured in four of them in a Lancaster, one of them in a Spitfire, one of them in a P-51. Well, my granddad, he, 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 he flew, my granddad flew reconnaissance right. in, wow. a, in a De Havilland Mosquito. Oh, what, a what a plane that was. That is an yeah. underrated aircraft. My, totally. physic, my old physics teacher... Uh, used to used to fly a de Havilland mosquito. Those wow. they were fast, weren't they? They they were light. Oh, yeah. They were lightly uh, equipped with guns. They they weren't yes. they weren't packing that much in the way of firepower, but they nope. relied on the maneuverability and their speed to to get away from whatever was was well, trying three, to do. Yeah, three hundred and fifty four hundred miles an hour was known, wasn't it? And when of course, the... famously, or is it? You'd be able to tell me. Made largely out of balsa wood. Yeah, totally. Made of balsa wood. That's, again, that's why when they did again, my, my granddad he had a he was involved in a in a, a crash in one of them, and they they burst in flames mm. as as quick as as yeah they were they were balsa wood. Well, <laughs> our physics teacher who used to get this this is how old I am, Simon used to smoke a pipe, used to smoke mm-hmm. a tobacco during lessons. People would be like, "What do you mean? <laughs> you used to smoke a pipe?" Yes, back in the day. Certain teachers of senior, they were all military men. The headmaster was an ex-tank commander, you know, that sort of stuff. It was This was the 1970s in a grammar school in the north of England. Mo, yes. A lot of the masters had been through the war, and you know, like, like he had. I'll never forget, he was, um, he was a practical man. He was a hands-on guy, you know, uh, and um, his fingers, his hands were so sort of gnarled that he could strike a match between his thumb and his forefinger. <laughs> I was, I've, I've remembered that, you know, like sort of forty odd years later. I'm going, I, if it was a school reunion, I'd say, do you remember the physics teacher could light a match between, which he frequently used to do because pipes. I smoke a pipe myself now. They're always going yeah. out. Like if you watch the old Bond movies, M's always having, or you read the books, M's always having to relight his pipe. Ian Fleming keeps, <laughs> men- keeps mentioning that. Uh, and so he was always doing that. But he was a he was a de Havilland mosquito pilot during the war. And he told, because I was very interested, not many people were, but I was fascinated by it and still am. Yes. And I was talking to him and he said that he believed that they designed the escape hatch on those mosquitoes to be deliberately very difficult to access. Because apparently there was an escape hatch, you could get out to parachute out, mm-hmm. but it was so tricky to get to it you know, it was like, oh, so they put. Why did they put this here? Yeah, well, they they only they want they only want you to bail out. <laughs> you know, they don't want to make it too easy. You know, it yeah, wasn't like want, an ejector seat. Make, make an effort to save the plane. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> no, you're only bailing out as an absolute last resort. Yeah. But of course, as you said, uh, and thanks for confirming that. I, I I wondered if I remembered that right. Largely made out of balsa wood. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. if they caught on fire, that was it. It was yes. But it was a, it was the whole thing about uh, the, that the mosquito had two of those engines, and again one had been put into a car, and that just blew my mind well, back then. Right. So but, uh, okay, I I knew about the beast because I'd I'd been um, 
kind of obsessed as well as with motorbikes and and British classic cars and Italian cars and scooters and I I always and still have um, a fascination with custom cars. Yes, and was an avid reader of both custom car and street machine, which were big influence on me. I met Steve Kirk a few weeks ago, the guy mm-hmm. that used to do all those, like, oh, you're too young to remember this, but they used to do, like, artists' impressions. They did sort of, of cars that hadn't been built, and Steve would airbrush these these designs, and they'd be in the centre spread of custom car. I met him a few would weeks you, ago. Would you believe I, I do have some copies of that from when I was a kid? That, that, was, still, that was still about, that was when yeah. I was... So I, I know exactly what you're talking about there. Well, I'd seen... John Dodd's car, The Beast, in mm-hmm. um, Street Machine, Custom Car. can't remember which one. It's probably in both because they've kind of tended to cover the same territory. Although yep. they, did, they did diverge at one point when Keith Soom, who's been, a, who's been a guest on the show, was a great guest on the show. He was a real Volkswagen man. You know Keith Soom is, being a Volkswagen man yourself. Yes, uh-huh, yeah. yes. And, uh, and Keith took uh, Custom Car off in a very VW sort of SoCal, beach buggies, all that sort of stuff, direction. Mm-hmm. But um, I remembered it from there, and so I thought, when I got on the telly, I thought, I wonder if people, I wonder if that car's still around, and I found it, and it was Paul, who John's son, who organised it. And uh, But to this day, there is this controversy as to whether that engine that's in The Beast, John Dodd's The Beast, which mm-hmm. he uh, drove down Fleet Street when Rolls-Royce took him to court, that's and, right, and yes. broke down, I'm doing air commas, outside the offices of the Daily Mirror and all the press yep. came out and took loads of pictures. Is it a Merlin engine or is it a Meteor, which, of course, is the same engine but with an iron block and considerably less horsepower? And obviously, ah. you wouldn't have wanted, wanted to put an engine with an iron block in an aeroplane. <laughs> no, exactly. Because it, it, it might make it not take <laughs> off and, you know, all sorts of other stuff. But regardless of whether it was a Meteor or a Merlin, it was a unique driving experience. And I'll never forget asking Paul about the spec of the car. This was kind of off camera. And I yes. said to him, oh, what's the... So you've got this giant 27-litre Merlin or Meteor engine at the front, you know, and, and most of the stuff was Jaguar. You know, so I was kind yeah, of, that's right. yeah. you know, Jaguar this, Jaguar that. And I said to him, what about the brakes? And he just looked at me and said, Austin Westminster. <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, I've driven an Austin Westminster and the brakes in an Austin Westminster don't oh, really, don't really do that good a job of stopping an Austin Westminster. <laughs> I said, are they modified? He went, I don't think so. I thought, right. But fortunately, you know. Fortunately, I was on a runway, and the one thing you've got on a runway is lots of space. Yes. So I thought, rather than relying on the brakes, I'll just... Sl- but I have to tell you, Simon, the noise inside the cabin. I mean, it's it's, sure. it, yep. it's there, it's on YouTube, it's a bit embarrassing. It's me when I used to have hair, and it's a very 90, <laughs> 90s Top Gear type item, which is pretty dated now. But, yeah, it was a great opportunity for a, a unique driving experience. Yeah. But again, that was an era when you had, you know, it, you you modified cars, you built cars. You know, if you wanted to do, if you wanted to get an extra ten horsepower out of the car, you had to take the head off, you'd polish and port it, you'd stick a, a a cam of some kind in it, and so on. You know, and that was the era when you built things. Uh, today, it's just you know, it's just it it's, the, hold on, the computer, and the way you go. It's just putting four space server tires on your VW pickup that's, and thinking, thinking, exactly thinking you're cool until you get pulled over. <laughs> 
Till you get pulled over and a policeman tells you that as it's technically a three-point offence for each tyre, you could be banned by being yes. you could be banned from driving by being pulled over once. So I in think one go. I think that yeah, in one go. I think that's when uh, the kids, as I'm going to call them, which is anybody under 35, <laughs> I think that's when they realise that this putting four space savers on the car craze might have to uh, might have to step aside. Simon, yeah. it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you, talking at you, you, mate. Thank you so much. That's it for another edition of Steve's Speed Shop. If you want to listen to it again, don't worry, there's always the podcast, or you can listen to it here on Fab. There's a repeat on Saturday. See you next week.